Good evening. Let's turn in our Bibles tonight to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 18 through 25 tonight. Book of Genesis chapter 2. Easy book to find. First book in the Bible, right? Turn to page 2. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to have this opportunity. And Lord, I pray that you give us insight into your word. Thank you that your word reveals such awesome truth. Lord, we look to your spirit to lead this time tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So you heard about the man who went to the doctor for a checkup and he brought his wife with him. And after the checkup was done, the doctor called the wife into his office all by herself. And the doctor said to the wife, your husband is suffering from a very severe disease combined with horrible stress. If you don't do the following, your husband will surely die. Each morning, fix him a healthy breakfast. Be pleasant. Make sure he's in a good mood. For lunch, make him a nutritious meal he can take to work. And for dinner, prepare an especially nice meal for him. Don't burden him with chores as this could further his stress. Don't discuss your problems with him. It will only make his stress worse. Try to relax your husband in the evening by wearing lingerie and giving him plenty of back rubs. Encourage him to watch some type of team sporting event on TV. So on the way home, the husband asked his wife, what did the doctor say? And she replied, you're going to (laughs) die. There are so many jokes about marriage. It's very common for people to make fun of marriage. In fact, there are a lot of people who view the whole concept of marriage as a joke. And we live in a society that has become very pessimistic towards marriage. But tonight, we're going to look at the invention of marriage, the creation of marriage, the institution of marriage as God ordained it, way back in the beginning. And that's where we are here in Genesis chapter 2. We're at the beginning. God has created the heavens and the earth. God has created the first man, Adam. God has placed that man in a beautiful paradise, a place called the Garden of Eden. And we want to pick up the story in verse 18 of chapter 2. Please read along with me. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, I want you to notice that in that verse, God says, There is something that is not good. 
Now, if you recall, after each one of the creation days in Genesis chapter 1, God said, after looking at what he created, this is good. And at the end of the sixth day, after God is surveying all that he's created, he said, that's very good. But right here in the middle of the sixth day, God says, something is not good. And this is very strong in the Hebrew language. This isn't just the absence of something good, but a substantial deficiency. God says something's missing. Something is lacking. And what is it? What's not good? Man's aloneness. The man, Adam, is alone. It's not good that man should be alone. Now, I want you to notice here that this isn't God's response to a complaint from Adam. Adam hasn't been bugging God. God, I'm so lonely. Adam, at this point, probably doesn't even know he's alone. He's in paradise. He's in perfect communion with God. God sees a need in the first man before the man is even aware of that need. And so God says, it's not good, and I'm going to make him a helper comparable to him. This guy needs some help. So I'm going to make him a helper. The Hebrew word could even be translated rescuer. This guy needs to be rescued. (laughs) Thank you very much. So I'm going to make him a rescuer. Now, this word helper is seen by some to be derogatory, like it's derogatory towards women. It's not at all. Do you know that God himself is called a helper in the Bible? He's called the helper of Israel. Moses says, the Lord is my helper. This is not a derogatory term. And look very carefully what it says here. I will make him a helper comparable to him. This helper is going to be just like Adam. But obviously different in a complementary sort of way, in a way that completes. This helper will complete Adam, and Adam will complete the helper. So now God commands Adam to do something that will awaken his need for a helper. He will help Adam see that he needs a helper. Look at verse 19. Look at what God asks Adam to do. It says, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them, and whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, 
to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So God commanded Adam to name the animals. He brought all the animals before him, and Adam gave each one of those animals a name. Now, don't think of this as a fairy tale or cartoony Dr. Doolittle, right? Adam watching these animals going by and saying, you look like an elephant. You'll be Mr. and Mrs. Elephant. You look like an advark or something like that. Remember that this is before the fall of man. Adam was brilliant. Adam probably was the most brilliant botanist and biologist who's ever lived. And the Hebrew language implies here that he would name the animals based on a deep and direct insight into the very nature of animals. So this was good work. Solid work. And you can see that in the process of naming the animals, he becomes aware of his need. He he notices each one of these animals has a companion. They have a counterpart. There's a social companionship of like kind. And so Adam begins to say, hey, where's my helper? Why am I alone? So in the process of this, Adam becomes aware of his need. And I believe it's then that Adam comes to God and says, where's my helper? And God says, I'm glad you asked. I have just the thing for you. God is going to bless the socks off Adam, had he been wearing socks, right? Now, I want you to see something about God. I think this is so beautiful. God loves to bless us. He is the God who sees a need in us before we see our own need. And thinking ahead of how can I bless We have such a marvelous God who wants to bless us with life and joy and peace. And not only in this life, but for all of eternity. Can you imagine what God has planned for heaven? So, the first surgery in all of history takes place. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. So God puts Adam in this deep, death-like state. Opens up his side. Takes out a rib. Closes up his side. And the Hebrew is very clear. God built a woman out of Adam's rib. 
Now, I know this sounds very fanciful, and I know this has created a lot of myths. There's people that say men have one last rib or one less rib than women. Have you heard that? It's not true. All men and women have 12 pairs of ribs. Some people have 11 pairs. Some people have 13 pairs, but it's not dependent upon sex. That is a myth. And then people get all caught up. Well, did Adam live the rest of his life with one less rib? Or did God give him an extra rib? Who cares, right? (laughs) We're not exactly sure how it all went out. The idea is God created a woman out of a piece of the man's side. And the idea is God created that comparable helper. The woman was just like the man, built of the same stuff, the same bone, same flesh, same DNA, same blood. The woman was created in the image of God. God created man in his image, both male and female. The woman had a moral nature, a will, a personality, communication. Man and woman, so similar, but also very different. And different in such a way that they'll perfectly complete one another. You do know that men and women are different, right? I want to show you a Time Magazine article, January 20th, 1992. Why are men and women different? It isn't just upbringing. New studies show they're born that way. So somebody had to do some new studies... To figure out that men and women are born different. They're born, they're created uniquely different, but absolutely similar. The perfect fit. One of my favorite quotes is from the old Puritan Matthew Henry. He quaintly coined, The woman was not made out of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. Absolutely beautiful. And I believe that this first woman was gorgeous. I believe she was stunning. She is the prototype of all women fresh from the well of God's creation. And now God, like a father, takes this beautiful woman 
brings her to Adam. And Adam's response is classic. I love it. Look at verse 23. Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now that doesn't sound all that romantic, does it? But I want you to see something in the Hebrew. You see that first thing he says, this is now. In the Hebrew, that is explosive astonishment. That's like saying, awesome. This is Adam saying, wow, look at that. At last, God. This is the first record of human words in the Bible. The first time a human being speaks, recorded in the Bible, comes from an astonished man falling madly in love with a woman. This is the first poetic couplet in all of Scripture. A man falling in love, reciting poetry. Getting all romantic. Man, it is right here that God built romance. Attraction. Marriage. Intimacy. Verse 24, very important verse. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, I want you to see this in your mind. This is the absolute perfect marriage. Adam, a man without sin. Eve, a woman without sin. Naked together, without any shame. Both in perfect communion with God. And both commanded by the Lord to be fruitful and multiply. We can only imagine what that was like. And that's how marriage came into being. Now it's so sad to me that sin will come into the human race. And it will destroy all that beauty. All that innocence. Look back at verse 24. You talk about a peak in scripture. Verse 24 is a peak. 
I hope you understand this evening how absolutely profoundly important the marriage relationship is in many ways. Do you understand that the marriage relationship is the foundational unit relationship for all other human relationships. The marriage relationship was given at and rooted in the very act of creation. At the very beginning. The marriage relationship is the first institution of God. The first institution of God was not a nation. It wasn't a community. It wasn't a school. It wasn't even a church. The first institution of God was marriage between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. When Jesus was asked about divorce in the book of Matthew, Jesus quotes this passage, affirming that he sees it as the foundation. It says in Matthew 19, And he, Jesus, answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus would also, this is the foundational relationship. How many of you remember the very first miracle of Jesus in the New Testament? What was the very first miracle of Jesus in the New Testament? Public. At a wedding. He turned water into wine. Blessing the marriage of a beautiful young couple. His stamp of approval on marriage. It is the basic building block for all of society. It is from the marriage relationship that there's family. It's from the marriage relationship that there's children. It's from the marriage relationship that there's community, that there's culture, that there's society. And if you attack the foundational relationship of society, it wrecks everything else, doesn't it? Now, I want you to see something else here. It's very clear. The marriage relationship is the most special relationship among human beings. It is the closest relationship that you can have as a human being with another human being. It says there in verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. The Bible says that nowhere else of any other relationship. 
only between a man and a woman united in marriage, they enter into a radically unique bond. They become one flesh, physically, mentally, socially, emotionally, spiritually. No other relationship like it. It says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Literally, glued. That's what the Hebrew means. It means you take a, you take a man and a woman and you glue them together. They're adhered together. No other relationship like it. The most important relationship in the human experience. And out of that relationship, again, comes health and joy and children. Beautifying culture and society and relationship and authority. All of that. And then this verse very clearly, very clearly defines what marriage is. This is marriage as God instituted. Marriage relationship is to be a permanent, monogamous, heterosexual Relationship. Marriage is between a man and a woman, one man and one woman, and it is to be a permanent bond, a lifelong union. That's marriage. That's how God invented it. And my brothers, my sisters in Christ, I believe it is one of God's greatest gifts to the human race. That beautiful marriage relationship. Let me show you a couple slides. Don't tell Dylan I've showed you this. This is my third born. He's a freshman in high school. The other day he asked some little girl to go with him to the homecoming dance. And she said, yes. Now they're not getting married. Look at the beauty of that. Puppy love, boy meets girl. God invented it. So utterly beautiful. 
femininity, masculinity, husband and wife, man and woman, joined together in holy matrimony. Family. Husband, wife, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, son, daughter. That's living. That's joy. That's family. That's marriage. That's how God built it. If the marriage relationship, if the marriage institution is attacked, everything goes wrong. And again, how sad that sin would enter the world. And of course, the enemy has gone right after marriage. Has he not? The enemy has perverted marriage, sex, attraction. Polygamy. Man married to multiple wives. Unfortunately, you know, that came right in to the ancient people's practice, including the nation of Israel. God never attended it. They did it and created all sorts of problems. Serial marriages. Sex outside of marriage. Sex before marriage. Adultery. Homosexuality. Same-sex marriage. Bisexuality. Transgender behavior. There's a new uh, practice called polyamory. Polyamory, open marriages, multiple parties, married to many, many different kinds of people, sharing. The polyamory society has a slogan. It reads, I love you and you and you. Who needs monogamy? Twisted, perverted, and so we have this. We have confusion, we have perversity, Tell me that isn't satanic. When you attack marriage, you're attacking all that's proper and good and right. And you are attacking the one who instituted it. 
to me, that is one of the most disturbing images I have seen in a long time. And I will tell you, I am not a homophobe. I do not hate homosexuals. I see this, though, as an attack on the very foundation of marriage. Redefining marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's marriage. My brother and sister in Christ, we need to stand for that. We need to protect that. And you know, as Christians, I think we should have pretty good marriages. Amen? I think our marriages should be witnesses. There's a couple principles for those of you who are married. Um, I want to remind you of some very important principles when it comes to marriage, right from the foundational verse in the scripture concerning marriage. By the way, I will share this verse at most every wedding ceremony I perform. There are two things that must happen in a marriage relationship. First, there must be a leaving. Therefore, a man shall, what? Leave father and mother. And I will tell the guy, the young man that comes up at a wedding, I'll say, you're going to leave mom and dad. And I will tell mom and dad right there on the front row, let them leave. There must be a leaving. A leaving from dependence upon anyone else in your human life, except for your dependence upon your husband. And your wife. Those of you who are married, listen. Your marriage is the most important relationship in your life. You are to forsake all others. Your wife is to be more important to you than anyone else. Your husband is to be more important to you than anyone else. More important than parents. More important than friends. Certainly more important than past girlfriends. More important than your children even. There is a leaving and a cleaving. Please understand how important your marriage relationship is and how essential it is that you put one another first. There may be some here tonight who are not married. And would like to be married. And maybe you're like Adam in the Garden of Eden. Where's my helper? I'm tired of being single. Hey, listen, I want to give you, I want to give you this advice tonight. Do not spend your days looking for your spouse. 
You spend your days right now serving God with all of your heart, with all of your energy, seeking God's face, doing his work, falling in love with him. Let God bring your helper. Just like God brought Adam his helper. You trust God with that part of your life. You give that part of your life to the Lord. You work hard for him. You seek after him. And let God take care of that. Be very, very patient, single person. Make sure it's the right person. And I always like to remind singles of this very important verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? You date Christians. No missionary dating. Well, I'm going to go out with that guy because he's really cute. Is he a Christian? No, but I'm going to go preach the gospel to him. I'm a missionary dater. Young person, single person, Christian woman, Christian man, you seek God with all of your heart. You work for him. And you just watch. God's going to bring. God's going to bless in his time. You trust him. Now, I realize that whenever we talk about marriage and these sorts of things, that it raises a lot of guilt in people because a lot of people have failed at marriage. There's divorce. All kinds of terrible things in people's lives. I want you to know tonight that the blood of Christ washes away all sin. Amen? We live in a fallen world and the scripture is so clear. We are sinners. We are failures. Jesus came to die for our sins and to wash away our sins. And I want you to know tonight that you can be totally forgiven. If you are in an ungodly relationship, you need to come back to the Lord. You need to repent. You need to do what's right. But... The Lord can restore you. The Lord can forgive you. The Lord can make all things brand new. We all need Jesus. Married, single. Amen? I mean, the marriage relationship, no doubt, it's the most important relationship on the human level. But there's a more important relationship, and that's your relationship with God. You must have a relationship with God. You must know that you are a child in the family of God. You must know that you have had your sins forgiven, that you become born again, that you become his child. That you might know his love and have his help. That you might become the best man, the best woman, the best 
husband, the best wife, the best father, the best mother that you can be. We need his forgiveness. We need his help. Several years ago, there was a movie that came out. You may have seen it, Fireproof. Beautiful movie about a couple that's really struggling. And this man has blown it with his wife. And she's wanting to divorce him. And he's trying everything that he can to get her back. But it's not working. But that's because he hasn't learned something. Very important yet. I'd like you to see a crucial clip in there. Caleb, if I were to ask you why you're so frustrated with Catherine, what would you say? She's stubborn. She makes everything difficult for me. She's ungrateful. She's constantly griping about something. And she thanks you for anything you've done the last 20 days? No! And you'd think after I wash the car, I've changed the oil, do the dishes, clean the house, that she would try to show me a little bit of gratitude. Well, she doesn't. In fact, when I come home, she makes me feel like I'm, like I'm an enemy. I'm not even welcome in my own home, Dad. That is what really ticks me off. Dad, for the last three weeks, I have bent over backwards for her. I have tried to demonstrate that I still care about this relationship. I bought her flowers, which she threw away. I have taken her insults and her sarcasm, but last night was it. I made dinner for her. I did everything I could to demonstrate that I care about her, to show value for her, and she spat in my face. She does not deserve this, Dad. I am not doing it anymore. How am I supposed to show love to somebody over and over and over who constantly rejects me? That's a good question. Dad, that is not what I'm doing. Isn't it? No. Dad, that is not what this is about. Son, you just asked me. How can someone show love over and over again when they're constantly rejected? Caleb, the answer is, you can't love her because you can't give her what you don't have. I couldn't truly love your mother until I understood what love really was. It's not because I get some reward out of it. I've now made a decision to love your mother whether she deserves it or not. Son, God loves you even though you don't deserve it. Even though you've rejected him. Spat in his face. God sent Jesus to die on the cross and take the punishment for your sin. Because he loves you. The cross was offensive to me until I came to it. But when I did, Jesus Christ changed my life. That's when I truly began to love your mom. Son, I can't settle this for you. This is between you and the Lord. But I love you too much not to tell you the truth. 
Can't you see that you need Him? Can't you see that you need His forgiveness? It's interesting going back to the first part of Genesis and you go into the Garden of Eden and you see the marriage relationship and you see everything that's so beautiful and how God originally created it. And then sin enters and it messes up everything and it destroys lives. And now we live in this fallen world. But I want you to know that God has a solution for that. God has sent his son. And life can begin brand new for every one of us. Our sins can be forgiven. We can come to know what love really is. And then in that power, learn to love others. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. And let's have this worship band come on. Father, I want to thank you that though we have blown it big time, you have made it possible for us to be forgiven. As we sang about quite a bit tonight, you have loved us. You have given your life for us. And thank you, Lord, that we can be forgiven, that we can start brand new. And Lord, I want to pray for anyone here tonight who needs that brand new start. Brand new creation in Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and you are the one who has failed relationship after relationship after relationship. Maybe you're caught up in a very twisted sort of behavior and you're wondering, can I be forgiven? Can I be delivered? Yes, you can. The blood of Christ washes away all sin. Perhaps there's a married couple here tonight and you're in trouble. Your relationship is hanging on by a thread. 
You need the Lord to help you. You need the Lord to be the Lord of you individually and then the Lord of your relationship. Center place. And I would invite you to give your life to Christ afresh tonight. If you've never received Christ, I'd like to lead you in this prayer right now. You cry out to God. This be the cry of your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I invite you right now to save me. I recognize all my sins. I confess my sins. I give you all my failures. Wash it all away. Give me a brand new start. Make me a new creation. Fill me with your spirit. Take my life. Make me the man that I need to be, the woman that I need to be, the mom, the wife, the husband, the dad. And then, Lord, I want to pray for anyone here tonight who is struggling with being single, who loves you. Lord, reassure them tonight. Let them find their complete joy and satisfaction in you first. I pray that they would serve you with all of their hearts, following after you with everything. And that it would be in that activity of life that you would bless. Lord, tonight I want to pray for any marriage that's hurting. I pray that you'd heal and restore. Help those priorities to be the right priorities. Make our marriages beautiful. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.